0: Good morning. Welcome to Green Tree Community Church. My name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. We're glad to have all of you here with us this morning. If you're a regular attender and you weren't here last Sunday, uh, you missed the reintroduction of our attendance books. If you've never been here in your life, you're going to get to learn about that this morning. On the outside aisles, we have these little attendance books. If you wouldn't mind filling those out and passing them down the road, Uh, two things. One, if you're a visitor, don't worry. If you give us your contact information, we're not going to be knocking on your door in about an hour and a half. Uh, we we respect your privacy. But if you would give us your email, we would just like to send you a little welcome letter and I'll give you a link the, that you can access at your own pace to find out more about Green Tree. So we do want to connect with you, but we won't be invasive in that connection. And then folks who attend here regularly, if you ever have a change of address or a change of an email or phone number, you can give us that. If you have a prayer request, you can give us that. Anybody, visitors can give us prayer requests too. But if you wouldn't mind filling those out, and when you get them in the middle, then just pass them back and everybody can kind of look and maybe learn some new names. But if you're visiting this morning, thank you for taking time to be with us. We uh, we really appreciate it. We uh, respect folks' time and the, the effort it takes to come, and so thank you for uh, being with us this morning. Uh, just one quick reminder, this coming Saturday is Night of Comedy. If you don't have your tickets yet, uh, make sure you go online, greentreechurch.com, or you can call the church office uh, and make sure you pick those up. It's going to be a great evening. We're going to be out at Westminster uh, for uh, about an hour-long comedy show, and then we'll have uh, some light hors d'oeuvres afterwards and just hang out and, and do what we do best, which is hang out and eat a little bit. Uh, maybe we should get better at some other things, but we're really good at that and we enjoy that. It's a great time to bring your friends too if you have somebody uh, that maybe is uh, a little bit new to Christianity, wonder what it's all about. It's not going to be an evangelism night. It's just a night to have fun, but it might be a great opportunity to bring some friends and introduce them to the uh, to the Green Tree family. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. The passage will be up on the screen in, in just a couple of minutes. Of uh, the two best teachers I ever had, stop and think about this, maybe you have a a face of a teacher, a name of a teacher. The two that I remember the most, uh, the first one was at Kirkwood High School, and it was Mrs. Lau, L-O-U-G-H, and Mrs. Lau was the Latin and the speech teacher at Kirkwood High School. The second uh, teacher that I remember was in college, was my economics professor, and his name was Dr. Hadley Mitchell, and I remember the first day of class, he walked in, and he said, now two things are going to be true. The first is that I'm going to use words you don't understand. And the second truth is you better learn them because I'm not going to repeat the answer once I give it to you. I remember when I, when I took speech from Mrs. Lau and I remember when I took economics from Dr. Mitchell that people around me, my friends in my peer group were like, they got a tough reputation. Are you, are you sure you want to go in that classroom? They, they, they kind of have, uh, are known for you know, kind of being arrogant, being real, real hard on their students, maybe even a little bit uh, mean-spirited. And yet, once I got into those classes, and once I began to uh, to take speech from Mrs. Lau, and you can judge whether she did a good job or not, I, I found out that she really wasn't arrogant. She really was the opposite. She was really quite humble, and she wasn't mean spirited. She actually wanted the best for her students, but she pushed us, and she challenged us, and she called us to try to try to get out of our simple understanding of what it meant to stand up in front of people and, and, you know, kind of read a speech and actually engage with a group of people. And it was it was the first time in my life at 17 years old that anybody had really challenged me intellectually. The same could be true of Dr. Mitchell in that economics class. The finance team here uh, at Green Tree might be shocked to know I actually took an economics class. Uh, but that being said, even though numbers aren't my deal, again, I found that Dr. Mis- Mitchell's passion for Uh, Learning and passion for understanding Uh, maybe gave him the wrong reputation with the casual observer, but with those who knew him well knew that he really loved his students, and he wanted the very best for them. God has probably a lot of different reputations with people who maybe know him casually. Uh, He has a lot of reputations within the church uh, itself, even with those of us who maybe claim that we know him a little better. But one of the reputations that, that I've heard uh, from friends, and I can even say that from time to time in my life, I've, I've thought this about God, and it's this, that God is vindictive. That God is uh, always watching and always looking and waiting for you or for me to, to misstep, and when we do, he's going to pounce. The, the actual definition of vindictive is disposed to seek revenge or intending to cause anguish. I wonder if that's a, an accurate representation of God. Just to kind of take the, the concept of vindictiveness a little further, uh, I found an old article by David Papineau, who used to write for the New York Times book review, and in 1997 he was talking about a book that, that kind of centered on the topic of vindictiveness, and he said this, Well, maybe actually waging vendettas is a bad idea, but to be known for your vindictiveness can, call, can be a great advantage For then people will take care not to cross you. And maybe the surest way of acquiring a reputation for vindictiveness is actually to be vindictive. (laughs) Is that a fair reputation of God? Is God wanting his pound of flesh? Does God delight in our pain? Is is God looking at you and watching you from wherever he's seated in heaven, doing all the different things that whatever it is that God's supposed to do, and he's waiting for you to slip up, in order that he can get after you. Is that a fair conclusion? We're going to be in John's gospel this morning in the ninth chapter. And actually, uh, there's a whole lot more in the in the, uh, in the the program this morning as far as the verses uh, than we're going to cover this morning. We're only going to cover the first seven verses. Uh, but I'm going to camp out here. And, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to come back to John chapter nine. And we're going to play this out a little more. So this is kind of sermon in john 9 part a and I, I know there's a b and i'm not quite sure there might actually be a c uh, so i gave you all the verses so maybe you could you could look at it over the next couple of weeks uh, but we're going to be considering this interaction that jesus has uh, with a blind man and a question that his disciples ask and the question is fundamentally is god vindictive is he waiting for us to make a mistake so that he could then uh, bring pain into our lives before we jump into this passage though uh, let's spend a moment in prayer Father, we come to you this morning uh, with a wide variety of experiences, wide variety of personalities. Uh, Lord, some of us come this morning having had a wonderful week and things have gone very well. Others of us uh, struggled tremendously, uh, perhaps with health issues, maybe with uh, stress in our family, our occupation. Father, probably every person in this room at one time or another has thought, you know, God, are you out to get me? God, why, why are the circumstances in my life this way? What do, you, what do you have against me? Father, that's a common thought among mankind. If we were honest, we would have to admit that it's probably a common thought within your church as well. And so, Lord, we we come this morning much like the disciples who, are, who we're going to see uh, bring this question to Jesus. We are curious. But we're not just curious in a casual way, Lord, if you really are there, if there really can be a relationship with you, then we are desperate to know the truth, whether we realize that or not. Father, what I have to say this morning is so uh, inconsequential, it it absolutely does not matter, one whit. Lord, we don't need the opinions of man, we need your eternal truth. So Lord, I pray for every heart and mind in this room, myself, first and foremost, and everyone, that we would hear your truth this morning. Father, forgive me my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know and to learn. Lord Jesus, we pray that through your word and through your Holy Spirit, you would come and that you would be our teacher. We pray in your name. Amen. Um, John chapter 9, the first two verses. Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple. They've been uh, they're in the, in the center of, uh, actually in the kind of the northwest corner of Jerusalem, the city proper at the temple. And Jesus has gotten into another one of those discussions with uh, the folks known as the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Uh, and they, uh, they now have publicly said they want to kill him. And so Jesus is kind of getting out of the temple for a little while, let things cool off. And as he's leaving, here's what happens. As he passed by, he saw a man, bo- a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I want to spend just a couple of minutes uh, talking about the disciples and their questions and perhaps the assumptions behind their questions. In other words, what the disciples are asking here is, Lord, if we cross God, we get it, right? Uh, he he, he uh, seeks out retribution. If if there's something that we've done that's wrong, somebody sinned in order that that this bad thing happened. This man would not be blind if somebody didn't offend God, right? There is the question. Well, behind the question, I think lie a couple of assumptions that uh, are common among these disciples. And I would also say, even though it's 2,000 years later, are probably relatively common between folks like you and me. The first is this, that suffering on any level is negative. Here's a man who, we don't know his age, but it says he was, he's been blind since birth. He's certainly an adult man, so whether he's in his late teens or his late 50s, he's been blind for quite some time. And the disciples know this. He's, he's a beggar that sits here outside the temple and looks for opportunities for people, uh, people's generosity, people's kindness. Uh, and yet they see a person who they automatically assume, this is, this is awful. This is negative. Physical suffering is always negative, therefore it cannot be redemptive. I believe that's an assumption behind the question. I think there's another assumption behind the question. It's this. If I'm not suffering, then I'm better than him, right? (laughs) I'm I'm doing okay, right, Jesus? Just in case you're kind of representing God and God might be watching, I'm doing all right, aren't I? Because I don't want to suffer. I don't know anybody that wants to suffer. I don't know anybody that says, boy, I really hope things go badly this week. I just, you know, I hope the IRS calls me. I hope I get a bad report from my doctor. I hope my kids flunk out of school. I hope my boss fires me. I don't know anybody that thinks that way. That's insane. (laughs) And yet we take it to a different level when we say, therefore, if you suffer, you're bad. So if I'm not suffering, I must be better. Well, again, I would suggest that, that we are in the same Disposition of the disciples, suffering is never positive to us. Certainly not in America. Uh, we can't think of of any uh, circumstances under which it would probably be good. And in fact, we're always quick to judge others as well. If you see someone suffering, uh, you probably feel bad for them. If they're a friend, you certainly do. Or a family member, you certainly care for them. But but at the same time, you may say, "Well, boy, they maybe they got themselves into that. <laughs> maybe they did something that they shouldn't have done, and now they're." paying for it. I think there's a spirit of vindictiveness that lives within the human community. But I believe that that assumption or those assumptions ignore two key truths. And the first is this, that suffering can actually aid us. Suffering can actually make us stronger. Suffering can actually be used in our lives to correct weaknesses that are in our hearts or in our minds. Remember perhaps when you uh, you first started to work, uh, maybe this happened to you, I remember the first paycheck I got, all $900 of it, and I thought I was pretty rich, and I went out and I spent about $400 of it in the first 24 hours. And then I started to remember that I had bills that were coming due, things like rent, uh, that groceries needed to be purchased, that I needed to, to, to pay for my insurance, and all of a sudden, I didn't have enough money. I didn't make that mistake. A second time that suffering wasn't necessarily bad for you Have you ever lost a job because you were lazy because you really did do a poor job it really wasn't your employer's fault have you ever had a difficult circumstance that uh you said you know i'll i'll try to never repeat that one i smarted off to my mom in front of my dad once <laughs> <laughs> never did that again learned pretty quickly suffering can be used in our lives to actually strengthen us. The the, the most difficult three years of my ministry life from the summer of July of 1995 to September of 1998 were years that I would not want to repeat for anything, one crisis after another. Our family's health even at that time, Cindy's health uh, was very fragile at that point as we faced really difficult circumstances, but they were the formative years of my ministry life. They were the moments that God used most deeply in my heart to, to change my understanding of him and his grace and his mercy for me. My wife lived in a home with an abusive stepfather. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But there are literally dozens and dozens of women who have been able to learn from Cindy's experiences. she's been able to share with them how God's grace has been sufficient for her. And you saw the verse on the screen as we were worshiping in song Uh, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says, I actually celebrate in my weakness because when I'm weak, then God is strong. I believe that we too quickly assume that there's nothing good in suffering when actually God can use it for something much deeper and much more profound than we ever imagine. The second truth that I believe this ignores is not only that suffering can help us, but also uh, that we are too quick to see suffering in someone else's life as a judgment against them, that there's something wrong with them, that they have fallen short on some level. Uh, John Calvin talks about our proclivity to, uh, to judge others quickly. John Calvin was a guy that lived uh, in the 1500s, and he wrote this. Since everyone is a bitter censor of others, few apply the same severity to themselves as they should. If things go badly with my brother, I at once acknowledge the judgment of God. But if God chastises me with a heavier stroke, I overlook my sins. If we want to be fair judges in this matter, let us learn to be perceptive of our own evils rather than those of others. I think what, uh, what Calvin is pointing out is part of the problem with the disciples is they were, they were quick to see that there must have been something wrong with these folks over here, they were quick to judge. If you, uh, you know, if you hang around um, a marriage at any amount of time, you see this at work. I see it at work in my marriage uh, quite often. If Cindy's late for something, you know, we're gonna go out or we're gonna, you know, we're gonna go over some friends for dinner, or whatever. If she's late, she is very insensitive to my time. There is no doubt about that. If I'm late, it's because I was dealing with some kind of crisis and I was ministering to someone and she should be very understanding. You see how it works, right? Very easy to say that person's wrong, but excuse something maybe even worse in my own heart. So we find these, these disciples asking the question, is God vindictive? Is God one who is waiting to pounce? And, and if he is, well, then certainly those folks must be worse off than us. How does Jesus respond? Well, let's look at verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered. He said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed by him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What Jesus is saying to his disciples here is that your perspective is way too narrow. It's too small. You, you don't understand the bigger picture. You are putting God in a box and God doesn't fit in your assumptions. He's not limited by your finite conclusions. The truth is actually much, much deeper than you can know. A friend of mine sent me an email this week of two of his granddaughters having a conversation at the breakfast table when nobody else was in the room. And one of them, who is uh, Amelia, is four years old, uh, and the other one is Carolina. Caroline is two years old. And he happened to be outside of the kitchen and overheard this conversation. And Caroline, the two-year-old, asked her older sister this question, can I marry Daddy? Amelia answers, no, you can't. He's already married to Mommy. Caroline thinks a moment, can I marry you? Amelia says, no, I'm your sister. You have to marry someone like James or Mark. I haven't found out who James or Mark are. I'm not not exactly sure what part they play. Caroline says, okay, I will marry James and Mark. Oh, how young. (laughs) Amelia responds, well, I'm going to marry James or Mark. So, Caroline, no, I want to marry James and Mark. Amelia, Caroline, 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 it's not time yet. We'll talk about this when we're grown up, Okay, okay. We all uh, enjoy and appreciate those childish moments when uh, children are, are attempting to think like adults. They're trying to work it out, and they're trying to figure it out. That's one of the joys of, of being a parent or being a grandparent, is getting to be on that journey with our children. And in a sense, I think this might be one of those moments where Jesus kind of smiles a little bit and says, oh, you guys have such a long way to go. There's so much you don't understand, the truth of God. And as he responds to them, he says, it's not that this man has sinned, it's not that his parents have sinned, but it is so that the works of God might be displayed or might be manifested or might be seen in this man's situation. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're focusing on the cause. You're asking the question, why? Why did this happen? Who sinned? What brought this about? And Jesus is saying, you're, you need to reshape your focus. It needs to be on the purpose. It needs to be on the what. And it needs to be on the purposes of God, not on this man's circumstances, but on God Almighty. What does he intend? Jesus is coming to the question, is God vindictive? Does he mean for and intend for pain in this man's life? Because if there is a God and he is that big, and he is really the creator of all that is, then he certainly has the power to inflict whether it is pain or whether it is joy. He can bring life or he can bring death. If God is, in fact, God Almighty, then his intentions are absolutely crucial. He's saying to his disciples, are you willing to see God in a different light? Can you focus on his character for just a moment? Could it be that God would actually use suffering for good for that person as well as others? And in fact, Jesus in his answer is actually raising a question when he says, it's not this man, it's not his parent, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What are those works? What is God going to do? It's interesting here that Jesus does not deny that God is the architect of this situation. In fact, he reinforces that fact. He says that, that this is certainly something of God's doing. God is sovereign over this situation. God is sovereign over this man's blindness. And yet while he does not desi- deny that God is the architect, he insists that his disciples and, and and those of us here this morning gain a fuller understanding of this one who sent him and what are his works. What are his intentions? Are his intentions positive are they are they intentions for our good or are they intentions for our evil every father who's ever had a daughter go on a first date looks at that young man and wants to know his intentions right he wants to know what's in that man's heart what is in the heart of god jesus says that could possibly use suffering for good so if we've stuck around this long we say okay we won't just write out of hand uh, uh, reject the notion uh, that, that God may be working. But what are these works? And how will that understanding help me? Well, let's take a moment or two to look at this man and what happens to him in verses 6 and 7. Having said these things, he, that being Jesus, spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. He put the, put the mud, brushed it over his eyes. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Interesting that that the word there, scent, is the same word used for God who sends. And the pool of Siloam was actually the main water source in the city of Jerusalem, and it, was, it came up from a spring deep underneath the walls of Jerusalem. So the water was sent up through the spring, and Jesus is doing a little word play here. He's helping his disciples understand. He's helping this man understand that God sends in order to bring life, in order to bring healing. And so this man, he says to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. When Jesus says to this man, go wash your eyes, what he's saying to him is you have an opportunity here to exercise faith. You're still blind. I haven't haven't uttered the words, be healed. I haven't said to you, and now receive your sight. What Jesus did was actually comment. Practice in his day and age. It was not unusual for uh, folks to believe that saliva had some kind of healing effect if it were used for different infirmities. And so what Jesus is doing doesn't look very miraculous. He's he's looking like he's practicing something that's very common in his day, but he adds one ingredient. Walk across town, and it would be in, in the city of Jerusalem, for this man to make this journey would be like walking from here to, say, uh, Lindbergh and Manchester, or if you're going south on Guy or maybe to, to the tennis courts at Kirkwood Park. Not a very long walk. Maybe, maybe a half of a mile. He says, I want you to go and I want you to wash your eyes. In other words, you have a faith opportunity. Here is your chance to believe that the works of God, the purpose of God, the intentions of God are meant for your redemption. You have to understand God's purpose is a good purpose. It's a merciful purpose. And we must look beyond the immediate circumstances of our lives. We must delve deeply into the Gospels, for example, to see every action of Jesus while he was on earth was meant for healing, was meant for salvation, was meant for restoration. Whether it was teaching, whether it was his miracles, whether it was his death on the cross and his physical resurrection, all of that was for our salvation. We need to get a different focus on the purposes of God. Because as small children, at times, we, spiritually speaking, we don't understand. I can't tell you exactly why difficult and challenging things happen to people. I can't tell you in the moment why you may be suffering a certain thing. I can't know the mind of God to that level. that I can say, well, the reason that this happened in your job is because God is going to do this. But I know the one who knows, and I know his character is a good and a gracious character. It's like a small child and this happened with all of our kids but especially Jordan. Jordan is our youngest and he was the most active and I think the first time he got stitches he was about 2 years old and he was bouncing on the bed and missed and cracked his head and got a little, you know, a little slit right there and so we go to the emergency room and I'm, you know, i there in the emergency room they, you know, they put the paper over him and just a little little patch there and the doctor's going to give him a shot and then give him the give him the stitches, right? And Jordan is not happy. <laughs> By any stretch of the imagination, right? And there I am, got my arms around. I'm giving the doctor enough room. And I'm whispering, in his ear, just trust me. It'll be okay. It's going to hurt for a minute, but it'll be okay. This is what you need. This is, this is what we, you know, we're, we're trying to take care of you. Almost impossible for him to get it at that particular moment. But he had to trust that his dad loved him and cared for him. And Jesus is saying to this man, trust the character of God. Understand that even in your blindness, God is good and is compassion and is merciful, and his works are meant for your redemption. Now, there's some things that could, could stop this man. There's some, there's some reasons for him to just sit back down and say, you know what, I'm not even going to bother. He could have been angry over his blindness from birth. And you say, you know, that might stop you from, from going and washing. It might be that, that you're just angry that this has happened to you. It might be that you have the same assumption as your disciples. You might think that you're guilty of something. And maybe you've racked your brain all these years and you can't figure it out, but you know that God's vindictive. And so you're, you're suffering for something, even if you don't know what it is. And you're going to you're gonna have to move past that, because that assumption could disrail, derail this process. I want you to exercise just a little bit of faith. It's the kind of faith that I call the what-do-I-have-to-lose faith. Think about this. Have you been blind from birth? And, and this healer comes to the town who has a reputation of, of helping the lame walk and the blind see and the dead be raised to life. And he says, to you know, I've, I've made this mud pack and I've put it on your eyes. I want you to walk about, about a half mile down the road, and I want you to wash in the pool. And you go and do that. It's kind of like what do you have to lose? You've been blind all your life. It, it, it's going to take you maybe an hour out of your day. The worst thing that happens is maybe you miss a couple of coins that might have come your way. But the upside is that you get to see the sunrise tomorrow morning. Maybe you get to see a, a mother and a father that you've never seen in your entire life. And we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. You get to see the world. And Jesus says, you must have enough faith. But what do I have to lose faith? To be healed and walk across town. And he does. I don't somebody probably guided him, I'm not sure, but he gets there. He went, he washed, and he came back seen. And in this exercise, Jesus reveals the merciful intentions of God. He shows us that even in suffering, there's a purpose of grace, and there's a purpose of compassion. Even if we can't get our minds completely around it. And that's really the question for you and for me this morning. I mean, you read the verse and you go, that's cool. The guy received his sight. I mean, think about never seeing a sunrise or a sunset and seeing one for the first time. Uh, think about the, the, the beauty and the majesty in this world. That's really cool. But what does it matter to you and to me? We still live in a world of great suffering. Our, our own little world of Green Tree Community Church is no exception. The last few months of Green Tree, we've had some terrible loss. In our spiritual family. We've had some amazingly difficult suffering in our midst. Does God deserve this vindictive reputation on the surface? We could maybe argue that he does. Perhaps we have some of the same assumptions as his disciples. You know, God is hes out to get us. Could be that we're angry over life circumstances. I've said from time to time in my life, God, why did you let this happen? I remember saying that when my uh, dad wasn't a Christian, and he got cancer, and it looked really bad, and I'm like, God, really? This is, this is the net result of 46 years of praying, or 45 years of praying, something, something like that, probably not that long, probably 35 years praying at that time, and yet it was in that hospital bed where my dad became a believer. Am I glad my dad got cancer? No. <laughs> Am I glad my dad got cancer? Yes, because of the grace of God met him there. And my father died three years ago next month. And I don't have to worry about where he is. I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to see him again or not. And even in suffering, I'm tempted to be angry over life's circumstances. And what's, what, I, what I really love about this passage is that Jesus doesn't chide the disciples. He doesn't say, guys, we've been together almost three years. Really? This is as far as we've come? You know, that's kind of how I coach my hockey team. Really, guys? We're, not, we're still not getting it? And Jesus doesn't belittle them. And he doesn't belittle your doubts this morning. He doesn't mock your fear. He understands it. He, he knows that we have a finite vision of life. And it's easy for our, our spiritual vision to be clouded by the suffering of this world. So he doesn't chide, but he does correct our, our wrongful conjectures with the truth. And he shows us and he reveals to us, not only through this teaching of his, to his disciples, but his action of healing. He shows us the truth and the mercy that God's character, that God's work, that God's intention for everyone who trusts in him, even in suffering, is for our redemption. Let's pray together. Father, we sang this morning that you are the faithful one, and uh, those are great words, but I wonder, Lord, if we really have embraced them. When we get into the middle of the struggle and the difficulty, do we remember that it is only uh, by your faithfulness that we are upheld? And Father, when we get into the the joyful moments, we haven't even talked about that when life is just breezing right along. We tend to forget that we still need your care and your and your mercy and your faithfulness. But Lord, for this morning, I, I know there are people in this room that that struggle greatly with the circumstances of their life. Father, I know the moments in my life there have been where there have been some very dark moments and we're tempted to question your character and we're tempted to. Embrace the false notion that you really are vindictive, you really do want us to pay. Lord Jesus, you would have never gone to the cross if you wanted us to pay. You went and paid for us so that you could say to that man, go wash, knowing that he would see and knowing that what he would really see and experience was the Savior of the world. And Father, above every need we have in this room this morning, whether it's physical, whether it's employment, whether it's a situation in our family, the greatest need each of us has is to know and experience the mercy and the grace of God. So Father, I thank you that you are not petty, you are not vindictive, you are merciful. You welcome our questions, you welcome our fears and our doubts, but you call us to look and to see the grace and the mercy of God. May we see that this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.
1: Will you stand with us? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. flowing down hands and feet that were nailed to the tree grace flows down and covers me amazing grace amazing grace how sweet the sound
0: Pretty good, even if you wear a Texas armband. I just don't like you a lot. Uh, I just noticed the clock. We're done a couple minutes early. If we leave quietly, we could probably get to the Dunkin' Donuts before the kids do. Which is thanks for worshiping with us this morning. We're glad you're here, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time. Uh, thanks for being here and worshiping with us. As always, our prayer team is right over here on my right. If you have anything at all we could pray for you about, we would love to do that. If you're a visitor, I typically stand right over there. And would love to meet you and welcome you to Green Tree. Now receive the Lord's benediction I gladly offer to you in his name. May the grace and the mercy and the peace of a God who can use even suffering for our redemption fill your heart and your soul and your mind with his peace, his grace, and his love until the day you see him face to face. Amen. The Lord bless you. Go in peace.